You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. good everybody konnichiwa motherfuckers my name is jason almi i am the host of this program welcome to abacabo cafe kimagure orange road podcast i want to thank you very much for pressing play on this episode because today we're going to talk about orange road tv episode 37 entitled heroic orange legend madoka's duel in a blizzard i'm not sure what an orange legend is Originally, this episode aired on December 14th, 1987. It was directed by Matsuzono Hiroshi, who has directed quite a number of episodes to this point, starting with episode five, very important episode, with the problematic part-time job. Matsuzono also directed episode 10 and episode 14, both of which involve foreboding dreams. Matsuzono directed episode 20, which is the episode in which she kind of almost smartened up. It was one of the first episodes where she ever witnessed something going on between Ayukawa and Kasuga and thought maybe there's something going on between the two. And that was when she walked in on them practicing their tennis swing at like midnight in the middle of the woods. Really kind of a weird thing to walk up on. Most recently, Matsuzona directed episode 27. And that was the most recent episode, which also featured... Sukiban gangs after Ayukawa throughout the episode. So there's already something of a very similar plot line between Matsuzono's most recent episode and today, in that both episodes prominently feature Sukiban gangs at odds with Ayukawa. This episode was written by Tomita Sukihiro. Tomita has written 11 episodes so far, including this one. Most recently, Tomita wrote the episode where there were two Kasugas. That was the birthday episode where he travels to the past and now there's two of them and then they got to decide which one's going to get to stay and which one's got to leave. And the whole thing was really weird. It ends with this crazy cliffhanger where 
the second Kasuga shows up and everybody's mind is blown and then they never pick it up ever again. So that was really the continuity destroying episode right there. We can thank Tomita for that. Also significantly with this episode, with episode 37, the third opening and ending sequences begin with this episode. So we start out with Actors in the Mirror, which is one that just, I've always thought Actors in the Mirror fucking slapped. I'm very glad to start listening to that one. And I'm going to talk more about the music in one of our wrap-up episodes after completing all of the analysis of the anime, but now I still have to mention, because it's the first time we've listened to this uh, track in the in the show so far, who is the actress in the mirror? Is it Ayukawa or Shikaru? I think the narration of the song is quite clearly coming from a female perspective. I, I, I don't think you can read the lyrics and think that it could possibly be coming from Kasuga's point of view. So it has to be Ayukawa or Shikaru. And I think most people probably fall towards Ayukawa. Of course, she must pretend that she doesn't like Kasuga. She has to pretend to be supportive of Kasuga and Shikaru's relationship. On the other hand, it could sound like it's coming from Shikaru's point of view because she's always acting upbeat and bubbly despite harboring some misgivings at this point about Kasuga's true feelings toward her and the viability of her relationship with Kasuga versus Kasuga's relationship with Ayukawa. So, Shikaru could be the actress in the mirror because she's having to pretend that everything's okay when at this point in the series, I think she's really starting to, to know consciously that maybe things are not so okay. Is the actress in the mirror Yusaku pretending that he prefers Shikaru? It's probably not Yusaku, but who knows? It could be. Now we begin this episode with yet another foreboding dream. It's becoming Matsuzono's calling card at this point. This is the third episode directed by Matsuzono that begins with a foreboding dream. Just as with the Tanabata episode, which of course was also directed by Matsuzono, Kasuga and Ayukawa are placed into roles, almost like these uh, weird parallel universe versions of themselves. So even though it's a foreboding dream and it's meant to be a vision of the future, it's abstracted and fantastical. They're kind of in these period-setting uh, garb and and identities. Uh, so even though it's supposed to be reflexive of, of something that's actually going to happen, it's still abstracted in this way. There's also the inversion of genders here. Uh, it's almost like a sort of like a pulp samurai type of film. Ayukawa as the samurai, she's going off to do battle with some unnamed foe and Kasuga is like her sidekick almost he's begging to go with he wants to go help her out he knows that she's going to face danger and he wants to lend her his blade and he's begging her not to go off uh, on the duel to the death but the idea is that there's this inversion of these these genders that you would think that the male character is going to be the one who's the samurai going off to battle, and the female character is going to say, no, stay home. Don't go get caught up. We got kids to feed. But it, but it's inverted here. Ayuka was wearing the pants, and, and that's not inconsistent with the rest of the show. It's a foreboding dream, so it's got to be real, too. Kasuga looks up to Ayukawa. She clearly wears the pants, like I said. Now, Ayukawa notices that Kasuga seems off after his dream as they're walking home from Abakabu. She remains really well attuned to his moods. She's able to pick up when he's off. 
and she addresses it with him. She wants to help him out if she can, you know? She wants to feel like he's doing okay. Now, in this episode, of course, it's also similar to 27 in that we've got some sukeban that are out on the prowl, and, and it means trouble for Ayukawa. She's going to butt heads with them in this episode, and that forms a basis of the conflict. So at this point, Matsuzona is dealing with some pretty well-known territory, for him at least. And so this run-in sets Ayuko at odds with the lady gang in a pretty standard setup. If it was like a gang movie, there's this wordless stare down between Ayuko and the gang leader. And montage is used here uh, in a fairly standard way to kind of intercut these images of the, the two Ayuko and the gang leader as they kind of size each other up. So we get medium shots and then we get close-ups of both women as they are shown glaring at each other. They're silently staring each other down, and the camera's cutting back and forth between them in a parallel fashion. And this parallel structure to the positions, the framing of the women on screen, as well as the amount of screen time per edit, it positions the women as equals at the outset of the episode, sets up their conflict. Like these two rivals they're going to be foes. And it also sets up this rival gang leader as a formidable foe for Ayukawa. Wordlessly, no dialogue needed, just the language of film semiotics used here. So it's a pretty standard but, but effective use of montage and framing. We also get some shots of Kasuga looking on silently. He's not wanting to butt in. He's knowing that he doesn't really have anything to offer here. There's not much value that he could provide. And it's actually been a pretty dour and serious opening to an Orange Road episode. There's not a lot of jokes just yet. Just Kasuga falling out of his chair because he fell asleep and had the foreboding dream. Speaking of which, Kasuga eats shit in the middle of Abakabu, and both Master and Ayukua barely look up from what they were doing before going right back to work. And that tells you, more than anything else, that they are well familiar with Kasuga's shit at this point. They don't even bat an eyelash. They know what he's about at this point. Later, Ayukawa overhears some students at the school as they provide us, the audience, with some useful exposition. This Sukiban gang is from the next town over, which is, of course, why we've never heard of them in the 36 episodes prior to this one. And we also get a call to action that Ayukawa picks up on. Someone has to do something about this gang. Not only does that spur Ayukawa to action, it elicits the most priceless line of dialogue in this episode. I'm going to tell you, this is excellent. One of the guys that Ayukawa is overhearing responds like a complete turd, claiming that he has calcium deficiency, and that's why he can't do something about the gang. I'm in a nutrition science master's program, so I'm well familiar with rickets, which is the condition that results from vitamin D deficiency causing poor mineralization of bones in young people. You wouldn't send the guy with rickets to fight the Sukiban anyway. He's got an impairment. But that's not even what he's saying. He's saying he can't possibly fight these Sukiban because he doesn't drink enough milk. I f***ing love it so much, it's now my own go-to excuse for my every shortcoming. If I'm late for work, I have a calcium deficiency. When I forget to buy diapers when I'm at the store... I have a calcium deficiency. When I fail to achieve or maintain an erection, I have a calcium deficiency. What do you want from me? 
perfect excuse for everything. Try that in the future in your own life. Now, Kasuga here is also trying to stealthily follow Ayukua, which doesn't work, but it's obvious he's trying to keep an eye on her. It shows his concern over Ayukua. He does sense that there is some danger for her in this situation that's developing. He shares his concerns with Shikaru, and she actually reinforces them. She doesn't make Kasuga feel any better. Kasuga is more worried now than before. And Shikaru kind of hypes the Oryu character up a little bit. And so just as I'm wondering who the hell Oryu is and why she's important enough for Ayukua to try to fight a Sukeban gang, we get a flashback of their first encounter between Oryu and Ayukua. When Oryu comes to Ayukua's aid and fights off some Sukeban that were annoying Ayukua. So it seems like Oryu and Ayukua's relationship is a mutual respect. They're not best buds in the way that Shikaru and Ayukua are. They didn't grow up together. They don't have these memories of being seven years old together, but but they have this kind of, um, they're not at odds. They're not conflicting with each other. They're both independent, strong, great leadership qualities, but but they respect that in each other and they don't want to fight each other over it. They seem to have a good mutual respect and supportive relationship. We get this flashback in kind of an interesting transition. So a group of girls is informing Ayukua that Oryu has been apprehended by the Sukiban gang. And Ayukua turns away from them to face the camera and the color palette turns blue. The background becomes a solid tone before cutting to the flashback, which is actually set on some rainy night in the past where the color palette remains predominantly blue. In the flashback, Oryu uses a kedama, which is a, a ball and cup toy, to beat up the girls that were annoying Ayukua. And in this show, I'm, I'm noting that Sukuban have used toys and other silly items as weapons in previous episodes, like yo-yos and shit. Hell, one girl used a bowling ball as a weapon. I don't think that's a very practical weapon. If you drop it, I guess, off a third story and you can get it to land on someone's head, I suppose it's pretty effective. But if you're just going to hold it in your hands and swing it at people, it doesn't seem super effective. But it makes me think, on the one hand, you know, maybe these toys are chosen to highlight the youth of the gang members. I mean, these are 15 and 16-year-old girls, after all, in these Sukaban gangs. On the other hand, maybe there's a practical reason. Common items like this would be more available to a young person, so they might get used as weapons out of necessity. Although, I'm also sitting here thinking, like, how tough is it to find a damn knife? Like, your mom's kitchen got to be full of them. So if we're talking about necessity, what's going to do you better, a cleaver or a bowling ball? I'm taking the cleaver. So I don't know if if that's going to fly either, but I think at the end of the day, Orange Road is a comedy series. It's more appropriate for even these menacing gangster characters to be a bit silly. Like there has to be something about them that that keeps them silly and and makes them less lethal. They're not going around with switchblades cutting people up. They're swinging yo-yos at people and it keeps the tone of the show in that sweet spot of 80s cheesiness. And this is an 80s cheesiness episode. I'm going to touch on that in a few minutes. This episode of all episodes is just primo 80s cheese. Now, after the flashback, Ayukua starts preparing her rescue of Oryu. She's going to go up against the Sukiban gang. She opens this 
small box that looks like the kind of thing that you'd see in a teenage girl's room. It's purple and green. It has this red ribbon painted on it. But she opens it up and it's just like filled with sharpened metal guitar picks and they're all glinting and shining attractively in the light. The box should have been filled with like pencils and erasers or maybe notes from her friends and some some pictures, not razor sharp guitar picks. This is ridiculous. If you're going to have signature homemade blades intended for throwing at people and embedding in their foreheads, I don't really think you should put it in a cute box. I don't think that's appropriate. Find a better box for your for your lethal guitar picks, lady. And Ayukawa is looking at the box with such a serious look on her face. The whole moment feels like unintended comedy. It's not your usual Orange Road Pratt Falls or Kasuga being a dope. This is Ayukawa seriously considering this onslaught against these Sukuban, and she opens up this cute box and it's filled with these razor sharp guitar picks and the whole thing is just so silly that this is the scene that i'm laughing at but it also feels kind of unintended there's a bit of intentional comedy too here in this scene they're bringing a little bit more intentional comedy in when yusaku barges in and bowls shikaru over and she lands in this weird like yoga position underneath ayukawa's desk that's meant to be funny. And it's all just so ham-fisted. I think it's appropriate to view this episode as a parody of the action revenge movies of the era. Ayuko is suiting up and getting ready to go like Arnold in Commando, except instead of grenades, she's got sharpened guitar picks. Shikaru is begging Ayuko not to go. The music is melodramatic. It's really over the top here. And I, I have to view this as a parody of action revenge movies from this time period. And I think it works pretty well in that sense. As Ayukawa is going to rescue Oryu, she reminisces, and we see a bunch of flashbacks from earlier episodes. And it's nice, I think it's nice to get this rare glimpse into Ayukawa's head to see that she has this sentimental nature as well. It's usually Kasuga that's the more sentimental one. We don't get to see as much of what Ayuko is actually thinking. So this is kind of nice. We get to see that Ayuko also cherishes the memories that she's made. And a lot of the, the flashbacks, a lot of the images that we see in Ayuko's flashback are of Kasuga. But I also think it's probably a um, convenient way to reuse these previous assets. These are still images from previous episodes. None of these images are new. Most of the images are of Kasuga, like I said, but not all of the images shown are Kasuga with Ayukawa, kind of oddly. Like when you're thinking about the guy you like and you're having this kind of romanticized, nostalgic flashback about him, it's not usually with other girls. Like hell, several of these pics are Kasuga with like other girls that aren't Ayukawa or Shikaru, like like uh, Kumiko or or Yukari, and those seem a little ill-fitting here. Like you're going off to this uh, possibly fatal confrontation, but at least this very serious confrontation might land you in jail or something like that, and you won't get to see your would-be boyfriend for who knows how long, and you're going to be thinking all, all this nostalgic images about him. You're not going to think about him with these other girls. Some of these images are even from scenes in previous episodes that Ayuko wasn't present for. 
so she couldn't possibly be reminiscing about them. The image of uh, Casca falling asleep on Yukari's shoulder from the movie theater is an example. Ayuko wasn't there. She couldn't possibly be reminiscing about Casca falling asleep on Yukari's shoulder. But it is obvious that these are Ayuko's memories because we dissolve to them from a close-up of her face as she was running towards her destiny. So the film language tells us that what we're seeing is inside her head and not Kasuga's as an alternative. Kasuga finally manages to catch up with Ayukawa, and the scene we see here is pretty much straight from his earlier dream, except without the costumes. There's an interesting use of a freeze frame here. As Ayukawa looks back at Kasuga, the image freezes, and there's this light red pinkish filter that's applied. Lasts for maybe about three seconds, the filter disappears, and then the action resumes. As in the dream, Kasuga can't manage to cross the bridge without falling off and into the water. And I gotta say, I ain't never seen somebody so bad at standing as Kasuga is. Damn, Michael J. Fox can stand better than Kasuga. We get an Uma Anushko appearance after a couple of episodes off. They're enacting a scene that's very reminiscent of Kasuga's foreboding dream. Just as in Kasuga's foreboding dream, they're wearing a similar period attire and garb, and they are also preserving that gender inversion where Umao is costumed as uh, the female and begging Ushko not to go to battle. And Ushko is costumed as a male samurai and is all she's using a, a gruff voice and she's obviously in this character. She's pushing Uma off her with her foot and shit. She's like, get off me. I got to go fight these people. And um, it, it really is preserving this gender inversion that we saw at the very beginning of the episode. On top of that, they witness Kasuga teleport. He's still disrupting this couple. They just can't, they can't have a moment without Kasuga coming in and just fucking it up for him. Kasuga's focus here turns from trying to talk Ayukawa out of going to preventing the cops from catching her there so he uses his power to divert them and and force the cops to take an alternate route and so at least he's not totally useless in this episode like he can't fight but at least he can teleport in some orange cones and get the cops going back the other way and when Kasuga does get to the construction site that's serving as the spot for the showdown he accidentally plants his face directly in Yusaku's ass, which has to be the highlight of Yusaku's teenage experience given his urges for Kasuga. This had to be the best moment for him. This is the episode where I decided I really love these Sukeban gangs. I really wish they were real. I don't think that they're real. In all of my research, every photograph that I found that was purported to be of a, a Sukeban was always some publicity still. It looked like a magazine shoot. I was never really able to find like real evidence that actual teenage girls wandered around Japanese cities in the 1980s wielding yo-yos and ball and cup toys and bowling balls for Christ's sake. When, when I go to sleep at night and I dream these Sukeban girls are real. These gangs are real. They exist. They're out there in dreamland. Maybe they only exist in Orange Road, but but I love it. This is a show that does have some moments that haven't aged well. Robo Kyosuke attacking a 
semi-nude Ayukawa trying to get pictures of her vagina, uh, that maybe hasn't aged very well. But this show really does strike me in, in a lot of ways as being quite equitable in terms of gender portrayals. And all of these Sukeban characters are, are, are stoic. They're physically tough. They're teenage girls, but they're not, they're not like teenage girls in other media. They're not uh, depicted as such. They're not obsessed with boys or, or their hair and makeup or prom or whatever. Like th- These are physically tough, ambitious female characters, and they're given a lot of agency. Now, the Sukiban are much sillier and, and therefore less threatening than something like the Queen's Choco Gang from Hawaiian Suspense. Those guys were literally going to shoot all three of our main characters and dump their bodies in the ocean. So they were a little bit more threatening. They weren't swinging yo-yos at people. They were going to shoot them in the face with a Beretta 9mm. Although the Sukiban do inflict some real physical harm on poor old Oryu, they tie her up, they, they beat her about the head and neck, they punch her in the ribs, they warm her up a little bit like Rocky going at it with a side of beef. But Ayukawa shows up, and she splits a whole-ass skateboard with a sharpened guitar pick. I don't know how that's possible. She cuts the damn thing in half like it was butter with a guitar pick. I'm here for this. This is what I'm here for. It's stupid as hell, but I'm I'm here for it. I love it. And like pretty much all of the Orange Road episodes, this one is super 80s. It's like 80s concentrate, and it's not going to let you forget it. The antagonist who squared off with Ayukawa at the beginning of the episode calls herself the skateboard wolf, and I'm still trying to decide how I feel about that. They're going to settle their grievances, not by a fist fight that presumably everybody would live to talk about, but by skateboarding down the beams of an under-construction skyscraper where a single mistake is almost sure to be fatal. All the girls in the Sukaban gang were approaching Ayukawa to fight, and you'd think Ayukawa is trying to rein things in by suggesting the skateboard duel, but the skateboard duel is way more lethal than a fist fight would have been or even a fight with yo-yos and bowling balls. Of course, Ayukawa is naturally excellent at skateboarding. She's a physical specimen. She's got this incredible physical prowess. This is well within her scope. She's good at surfing. She's good at martial arts. She's good at gymnastics. She's good at skateboarding. It makes sense. This is not proof that Ayukawa is a Mary Sue. This is proof that Ayukawa has a couple of skill sets at which she is phenomenal. She's incredible, and she's a naturally gifted athlete. So one of the things that she's going to be great at is skateboarding down a 30-story building that's not constructed yet in the snow, in the wind. And if skateboarding down a construction site wasn't 80s enough, they play this shit while doing it. Of all the 80s-ass shit in this show, this shit might be the most 80s-ass shit in this show. The chase scene is pretty standard editing. Relatively rapid cuts back and forth between Skateboard Dog and Ayukawa. These rapid cuts heighten the tension, and it reduces spatial awareness for the audience. 
it's difficult for us to determine precisely how far back Ayukawa is so that when it's time for Ayukawa to catch up, it doesn't seem too unrealistic. Also, it likely made things a little easier for the animators. There's a lot of recycled artwork that's used in this sequence as Ayukawa and the skateboard dog are going around the corners. And then the friggin' skateboard canine goes flying off the friggin' building. Nice job de-escalating Ayukawa. You could have stuck a few guitar picks in her and called it a day, but no. You got a challenger to a skateboard duel at 500 feet in the air. Of course someone is going to die. There's even a long shot of Ayukua kind of staring off the edge of the building like there was no way she could have possibly foreseen this event. How could such a thing happen? Let me tell you, they're lucky they got Casca since he managed to save that poor skateboard basset hound by pinning her to the building with the giant rod that she was holding. And nobody even wonders why he collapses from exhaustion. It's ridiculous. This was the point in the series where I really started to notice that they would give Ayukawa and Kasuka these intimate moments, even in front of Shikaru. Shikaru would invariably be oblivious, paying attention to something else, or not really noticing what's going on between Kasuka and Ayukawa for some reason. But it's nice, I think, for the audience to see Kasuga and Ayukawa having these moments of romantic connection. It's what we're here for, after all. But it also feels a little weird that they get to have these moments and Shikaru is oblivious simply because the writers need her to be. In this episode, Ayukawa skateboards right into Kasuga's open arms and they embrace and then they collapse together. What kind of couple-ass shit is this? They, they like fall against the building and then slide down it and she's got her arms around his neck and he's got his arms around her waist and they're like staring into each other's eyes and they start blushing Meanwhile, Shikaru is just over there dancing and shit. She's not even running up to her friend and wondering why her best friend is holding on to her boyfriend close and staring into his eyes while blushing. It's crazy. She's just dancing around with Yusaku in the snow. But we do get a shot of Oryu watching Kasuga and Ayukawa. And the moment is not lost on Oryu. Later, in the hospital, Oryu offers Ayukawa a cigarette. And there's a reason why you're not supposed to smoke in hospitals. They have oxygen tanks. Oryu clearly has not seen Halloween 2. This is an opportunity for Ayukua to repeat Kasuga's line from episode 1 about smoking and not being able to have healthy babies. It's meant to demonstrate the long-term effect that Kasuga has had in helping to mold and shape Ayukua. He's had as much of an effect on her as she has on him. And we see this here. He's been an influence in her life, but also it still strikes me as kind of a sexist way to think about a woman's value being correlated so tightly with her ability to produce viable offspring. I mean, we don't even know if Oryu even wants to have kids. That might be a completely unconvincing argument for her. So I spent a lot of this episode thinking about the way gender and sex are treated in Orange Road in general. And it's something that I'll return to for an episode after we conclude the entirety of the anime series. But because of the themes of this episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about it here too as a prelude to that longer conversation to come. In this episode, as in several others, 
the gang members and hero characters are female. Kasuga seems just as likely to be the damsel in distress archetype as anyone else, and certainly more so than Ayukawa would be. Ayukawa and other women are portrayed as formidable and skilled fighters. As I mentioned before, they're also ambitious. They're not out there just chasing men around. They're not concerned with the, the, the male characters. They're out there doing their own thing. They're living their own life, and they're not worried about stereotypical teenage girl shit. This episode is a great example of how women drive things in Orange Road, how the narratives center on them and how they propel these narratives. Meanwhile, all of the men in Orange Road, except for Yusaku, are so physically incompetent that they can barely stand. And even Yusaku gets punked by the women, mostly Shikaru. Even in this episode, he comes up to get behind Shikaru to kind of grab onto her, and she quickly elbows him in the chest, and he kind of drops down and like grips his solar plexus like she kind of knocked the wind out of him. And that's actually one of the funnier scenes in this episode besides the calcium deficiency line where she elbows Yusaku as he comes up to get behind her. She's just like, get off me, punk. And, and, and it's funny, but even this formidable like black belt kick-ass character Yusaku gets punked by Shikaru, who has zero training, and it's mostly because he's been conditioned since his childhood to fear her and to fear the violence of which she is capable. There's a reason the black belt character fears Shikaru. On top of that, Kasuga Takashi exists solely to be abused by Kurumi's ESP, and Kasuga himself hasn't walked past a fountain or a pond that he hasn't fallen into or been thrown into by Ayukawa. But when all of that is said and done, at the end of this episode, the filmmakers undercut that somewhat with this, you shouldn't smoke or you won't be able to make babies for your future husband line. And from what I've read about the Sukiban, that might be the way they went in real life. And from what I've read in my research about the real life Sukiban, they were teenagers when they were part of the female gangs, 15, 16, but invariably they would age out of that type of activity. They would become 18 and they'd go to college. They would pursue careers. They would settle down. They might get married. They might have kids. They did the thing that everybody does when they grow up, right? You're going to age out of, of skateboarding and throwing yo-yos at people's heads and cutting things in half with sharpened guitar picks. So it may not even be contrary to what occurred for many of the Sukiban in real life, but but even still, in a show that I think really doesn't shy away from empowered female characters, it is a weird way to kind of end the episode. Like, um, we had fun, didn't we? Yeah, we kick a lot of ass. Now let's get married and pop out some babies for some creepy abusive husband. So there's definitely more digging to do on this topic, and I plan to do it, but with Sukiban and, of course, Ayuko as a main character and, and conflicts like this feature so prominently in Orange Road, as well as the inversion of the genders in the foreboding dream and uh, Umao and Ushko appearance, it bears mentioning here. What also bears mentioning here is that I have a Patreon. Why don't you please do me a solid? Go check out Team Almy Studios on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Team Almy. You can check us out. Uh, please become a patron. You'll get access to a whole load of exclusive 
content and materials, stuff coming soon. Guys, be on the lookout for your Christmas cards. I've sent those out already as I've recorded this. So maybe as you're listening to this, you've already received your Christmas card, but we do that kind of thing for patrons. I love you guys. And and we've got some good special feature stuff coming right up. Also, I've got uh, merch for everybody. I send everybody merch. I send every something to everybody. I've sent merch to Pakistan for my patrons. That's how much I love you guys. Uh, and also there's access to Shit Happens When You Party Naked. That is my Patreon exclusive podcast. Speaking of my other podcasts, I want to encourage you to please check out Creatures of the Night. It's a kooky, paranormal conspiracy podcast. It's not political, I promise. We just like doing drugs and yelling at each other. So it's a very entertaining show, and I think you'll like it. And I think you need other things to listen to throughout the week. Unfortunately, this show is just too short to get you through seven full days. So you need Creatures of the Night, and I'll put a link in the show notes for that show so you can go check it out. I want to say thank you very much for listening to this episode. I appreciate you. If you've made it this far, I love you. I want to kiss you right on your face. And I also want to play for you a remix in honor of Actress in the Mirror. I want to play for you a remix featuring that song for you guys to enjoy. 